everybody to the VBCOA podcast, a Building Code Geeks podcast. I'm your host, Christina Jackson, and with me today is Jeff Brown with the Department of Housing and Community Development. How are you doing, Jeff? Oh, very good. Thanks for inviting me. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. So, Jeff, um, so first off, before we begin the podcast, I'd like for you to tell us a little bit about yourself, how long you've been in codes, and your role at DHCD. All right. So, so I've, I've been in the construction industry now, I guess, for probably a little over 20 years. I uh, started off uh, you know, as a, a teenager and in, in, in my early 20s doing some construction, um, some heavy utility work, some uh, general construction, uh, a little bit of um, framing, carpentry, that sort of stuff. Uh, eventually uh, ended up getting a job with a third-party inspection firm uh, in, in Richmond and doing some third-party inspections. Um, from there, uh, I was actually one day was, was taking a certification exam with that company and, and met the deputy building official for Prince George County who was also taking a, an ICC exam. And we were talking in the waiting room and uh, he told me he had a position open down there. Um, I ended up applying for that position. Uh, that was back in like 2003. Uh, I got that position, started off as a residential building inspector, um, you know, and just really got into it early on, tried to get as many certifications as I could, kind of expanded from there into doing, you know, combination inspections, uh, plan review, uh, and then after a couple years, uh, started getting into commercial. Uh, After a couple years after that, uh, eventually became deputy building official and eventually building official and fire official and maintenance official. Uh, you know, I was at the local government level from uh, about 2004 until 2017, so about 13, 14 years there. Um, really just uh, was interested, had, had a good interest in the kind of the how the codes work and the administrative side of it and the legal aspects of it was, was really what, what I was uh, drawn to. And so when the position came open at DHCD for code development, I was I was super interested and uh, you know, put my application in. Was lucky to get a job with DHCD in 2017, uh, and been here now since then. So you know, a little over five years now at DHCD. Um, you know, in my role now, um, you know, I'm responsible as State Building Codes uh, Office Director for kind of overseeing the state code development process and the manufactured housing and industrial industrialized building programs for the state. That's very interesting. Um, so, run us, um, take us through the legal process and the administrative process that you said got you so interested in working for DHCD. Um, so that involves the code development process. So, run our listeners through the code development process and how all that works and the administrative portion of, on the back end of what DHCD has to do to get that going. Right. So, all right. So, so we could be here all day. I'll try to, I'll try to uh, summarize the best I can, you know, but, but, uh, you know, like, like I was saying, what really got me interested in is, you know, a lot of times when you're, you're out there enforcing the codes, um, you know, somebody will ask you, well, you know, why do I have to do this? Or, you know, you're thinking, you know, why is this code in place? Um, And then you start doing research and where you always end up is is back at the code development process with, you know, who submitted it, what was their reason, what were the discussions around it um, to really give you a good background understanding of where it came from. Um, So, you know, I started doing that kind of early on. um, And then, you know, I I got familiar with the, the national code development process 
was had opportunity as, as an inspector to go to a couple code change hearings. Um, really thought that was was really interesting. And the national um, code change process is through through International Code Council uh, ICC. So so in in very very high level terms, basically, there's a national model code that's. Uh, developed and updated every about every three years um, through ICC. Uh, they have a very robust uh, stakeholder input process uh, where people submit co-change proposals, uh, provide their background and reason, uh, cost impact statements. Uh, all those co-change proposals for all the various codes are, are put out there for the public and, and anybody that's interested to kind of review. And uh, then, they'll, then they'll have a uh, public public comment hearing uh, where the proponent of that change will, um, you know, explain their change, uh, speak to speak to the, um, or the the first step is actually the, the committee hearings, um, but it's very similar to the public in, in that the proponent explains the proposal, answers questions about it. Anybody else that has uh, uh, in support or opposition has opportunities to speak. Um, eventually, through the process, the proposals are either approved or disapproved. There's a formal voting process at the national level uh, where government representatives um, throughout the United States and, and other, other member, member bodies have uh, voting rights. Uh, once those votes are you know, calculated, uh, it'll determine what's in the next edition of the codes. Um, once those once those new set of uh, model codes are are developed, uh, like I said, that's about every three years. Um, Virginia will then uh, look at incorporating or adopting those codes into the state building and fire codes. Um, and our process is is similar um, in in many ways to the national code development process. Um, you know, we we have a board in Virginia called the Board of Housing and Community Development. Uh, that's a uh, governor appointed board uh, that actually makes all the final decisions on on what is uh, what goes in the code and what's approved and what's not approved uh, so in virginia we've got a system that's called uh, cdp virginia which is just an online portal basically where anybody can submit a code change proposal it's open to the public where uh, you know anybody that's interested can go in and look at those proposals and submit comments and have some discussion on them uh, after we take in uh, code change proposals at the beginning of a, a code change cycle, uh, we'll begin having stakeholder input meetings uh, where anybody, again, it's, those are all open to the public. Anybody that's interested uh, can come and be part of the discussions. Uh, we try to determine if there's uh, consensus or not and, and if there's support or not for each proposal. Uh, and then at the end, end of all the stakeholder input process, we'll take each proposal or all of the proposals to the Board of Housing uh, with that kind of consensus recommendation from the stakeholders. And ultimately, the Board of Housing will uh, look at each one of those proposals and, and make that decision if it's going to go into the next edition of the building and fire codes. So they really look at each one of those code proposals? Or do you all sort of like guide them through each one of the code proposals? So, so what we do is, uh, if you're at the board level, obviously they have to consider each and every proposal. Um, so, so we try to put the package together the the best we can to to make it as clear and concise as we can, and that's really the purpose and, and intent of the stakeholder input process that we go through for for months and months before we bring the proposals to the board because, you know, there's obviously a lot of discussion and a lot of background um, and a lot of information related to many of those proposals. So. Um, when we when we bring the proposals to the board for consideration, 
uh, we try to group them into categories. Um, you know, if, if there's pr certain proposals that are uh, everybody's kind of in agreement with, uh, we'll call those consensus for, for approval. And that's the recommendation that we uh, give them from the stakeholders. Uh, and those will go into one part of the board package with all the supporting information um, you know, what the discussions were with the stakeholders, what information was submitted, uh, and then all the proponents' uh, reason statement, and, and that stuff is included in there as well. Uh, obviously, those are a little bit easier for the board to, to take a look at and maybe not need to spend quite as much time digging into the weeds on because it's, it's already had a lot of discussion and everybody's in agreement with it. All the stakeholders think it's their, the change is a good idea. Uh, and then we'll have some that might be a consensus for disapproval, which basically means that somebody had an had a idea for a code change, uh, but when it was brought to the stakeholders, nobody really supported it. Um, maybe some people um, were in opposition to it, uh, but there was nobody other than a proponent that, that really thought it was a good idea. Uh, so, th so we grouped those together as well. And again, those are ones that typically, um, you know, may not need as much review because uh, there's nobody that's really supporting that change. And then we'll have a final category that we'll provide to them that are the uh, what we call um, non-consensus proposals. And those are basically ones that that uh, there there may be some support for them and some opposition. Um, various levels of support and opposition. You know, you may have one one group that's in uh, in opposition to it, or one individual that's in opposition to it, um, or you might have a, a split down the middle where there's a lot of people that support a proposal and a lot that are in opposition to it. So, so part of what we do in that that package that we give the board is for those non-consensus items. Uh, we try to clarify that um, for them uh, by providing a list of, you know, who, who was speaking in support, who that individual represents, and who's speaking in opposition, and who they're representing um, to help them kind of get a, a big picture of, of, you know, what what the level of support and opposition is. And then also they'll have all the detailed um, meeting minutes and summaries from all the discussions that were had throughout the process. Um, but again, that's still a lot of information, so it's, it's a lot for them to go through. Uh, I'm sure they spend a lot of time looking through each and every one of those proposals and, and trying to take in all that information that we provide them so they can make the best decision at the end of the day. So when you, is this a meeting where you attend in person to talk to them in, in regards to these changes? Is this just something that you all just create like a packet, send it off to all the board members, and then they review it, and then when they get together, then they're just going through each one of those line items and voting on it. Yeah, so so when it gets to the, uh, consideration of the individual proposals at the board level, uh, obviously that's a public meeting. Um, so you know anybody's uh, able to come sit in in that meeting. Um, some of those meetings are typically are also lined up with a, a public hearing. So there's a lot of times a public hearing associated with that meeting that will happen at the beginning of the meeting before the board meets. Um, but it is an official board meeting. So, um, you know, the, the board is really the one at the meeting having the discussions. Now, while DHCD staff may be there to answer some questions, uh, we, we really uh, put the package together ahead of time with all the information they might need for the meeting uh, and provide that to them well ahead of the meeting so they can study it and, and review it and have discussions. Um, you know, if they've got questions from, you know, maybe from one of the proponents, they may contact them or, or um, you know, if they have a question for staff, they may contact us for some clarification on something. And, uh, and then at the meeting, like I said, they, hopefully the whole board has had a chance to review everything. They'll have their discussions there at the meeting uh, in the public setting and uh, make those final determinations. 
Okay. And then is someone from your staff assigned to that board to assist them? Or is that you that, you know, is assigned to that board to help them, you know, with any questions or navigating any, you know, issues that may arise in the public hearings? Uh, we don't have a specific staff in, in building and fire regulations assigned to the board. Um, however, you know, they, they may reach out to us if they've got questions um, on an individual uh, basis. And we, we do have staff in, in other uh, offices at DHCD that are um, that uh, assist the board with their um, administration and things like that, especially in our policy office. Kyle Flanders uh, is the one that really uh, is the is the main one helping set up and administer those meetings. How many people sit on this board? I believe it's a 14 member governor appointed board. Wow. Wow. So you have to keep up with all those members and all their questions. And so do they ask interesting questions or are their questions just sort of like, oh, well, you would think as a board member, you would understand the importance of this code change or, or something like that. Sure. No, no, I think they do ask some really good questions. Um, you know, there's obviously uh, different levels of, of understanding and experience by the different board members. It is kind of a diverse board uh, made up of representatives of, of different districts in, in the state. And there's also um, uh, representatives from uh, Fire Service Board and uh, VBCO has a director of regulatory compliance that's, that's on the board. Um, so, so many times, what um, since we've got two kind of code experts um, in in our fire service board and uh, director of regulatory compliance, uh, a lot of the technical questions they'll they'll kind of lean on them or or um, ask them first um, for explanations. Uh, but there's a lot of times good good discussion. Um, some of the other board members uh, obviously have some some background in, in development and uh, various types of regulations. Um, and uh, you know sometimes they may have specific subjects that they're uh, you know interested in or have experience in. Uh, and a lot of times the those will be the board members that that somebody may look to if they have a question within their bailiwick. All right. Well, that's very interesting. So, um, Jeff also. Please tell our listeners, what is the importance of the code development process? Like, you know, we're, we're talking about a process that takes over months, maybe even a whole year to develop and get into place. What is the importance of the code development process? Yeah, well, there, there's a lot of a lot of good reasons that the codes are developed and updated regularly, um, you know, and and it is a, a lengthy process. It's almost a nonstop continuous process, you know, at the national level, they've got um, you know, many codes that they're updating at one time, so they've broken it up into to, um, kind of different tracks, and so you almost always have some kind of code uh, update process going on at the national level. In Virginia, since we're updating about every three years, it does take about uh, about two years from start to finish um, once we start taking in proposals to the time that we've got the books published and, and have an effective date of the code. Um, so sometimes there's a little bit of a break uh, between it, but it's almost a continuous process as well. But, you know, when you think about uh, how things change so rapidly, um, you know, in, in the built environment and in the construction industry with new technology, new materials, new methods of construction, 
um, you know, things are constantly changing. New hazards are, 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 are come up and, you know, especially things like this last cycle, you know, we're hearing a lot and seeing a lot of uh, lithium ion batteries and energy storage systems and things of that nature that maybe 10 years ago we didn't see that much of um, and we didn't hear a lot about. Um, now they're, they're being introduced into the built environment a lot more and in, in bigger um, sizes and bigger quantities of, of these things. So, um, you know, the codes have to try to keep up with that, um, you know, and, and obviously as, as things happen with those, um, we learn as we go along. Uh, you might have an incident that happens with one of those that, uh, you know, maybe an accident and, and we learn from that, that mistake and say, okay, what can we do to, to prevent this in the future or protect people if this does happen in the future? And typically at the national level, they, you know, they'll they'll work those changes in to try to make sure that uh, you know buildings are, are safe and, and resilient and um, accessible and and um, you know and still try to make make sure we're we're maintaining affordability as well. And, and in Virginia, we try to do the same thing. Uh, of course, the codes are always a little bit behind, um, right. and and that's another reason why we have to continually update. You know, as new technology comes out, it might take a few years to really get those uh, uh, safety requirements or whatever requirements uh, may be applicable into the code. And then if we're adopting those in Virginia, you know, a year or two later, um, you know, we're always a little bit behind. Um, one thing we do in Virginia, though, is we do. Uh, try to bring forward things that that uh, might be brand new or being discussed at the national level that may not have quite uh, made it into the code or maybe in the next edition of the code uh, like for example um, uh, if we see something in you know in the, when we were developing the 2018 code there was um, some things like uh, mass timber buildings that that were kind of new at the All national right. level um, and we're going to be available in the 2021 codes. Um, you know, we had some people that were really interested in bringing that into Virginia, didn't want to wait until the 2021 codes were adopted in Virginia. Uh, so a proposal was brought forward to bring those 2021 national code provisions for mass timber buildings into the 2018 edition of the Virginia code. And we see that happen uh, quite a bit. Um, just like with energy storage systems in the 2021 cycle, uh, there's been a lot of work to make sure that uh, when we when we adopt the uh, 2021 model codes and incorporate those into our 2021 uh, Virginia building and fire codes, that we're making sure we have the latest, greatest information that's uh, at the national level um, uh, related to energy storage systems. That would be very interesting to expound on. In our jurisdiction, we now have three, two 3D houses that are getting ready to be built by a developer uh through habitat for humanity and i know some questions have come up in regards to well, are these safe are they up to code what does the code say and um there's been some a lot of talk about you know what does the code say about 3d houses and i was like well it doesn't necessarily say anything specific to 3d houses but do you see that as one of the things that virginia is going to have to address because that builder is trying to plant his feet here in Virginia and have a lot of those houses throughout the state. Sure. Yeah, we, we're seeing a lot of lot of kind of new ideas and concepts and new construction methods out there. Um, you know, 3D printing is definitely one of them that's kind of on the forefront that a lot of people are interested in. And, and we've seen some pilot projects in Virginia and are hearing about a lot more uh, coming soon. Yeah, so that's that's why I think it's important that we have the alternative methods and materials uh, provisions in the in the building code because it may take several years um, for the for the codes at the national level to catch up with new technologies like 3D printing, 
Um, you know, we see things like uh, shipping container homes. Um, there's a lot going on with offsite construction, um, new things going on there where we're seeing new types of, of modular and uh, other types of uh, factory built construction being introduced into the, the construction process. And, and those things, like I said, move fast. And a lot of times they're necessary, um, you know, to keep costs down and, and um, you know, so so what we're able to do now is is say, okay, this isn't in the in the model code yet. This may not be in Virginia's codes yet, um, but I can look at this process and uh, you know evaluate the the data and the information, uh, the plans, and verify. And if everything in in this uh, you know alternative design or, or construction method uh, provides a product that's equivalent in safety and uh, efficiency and accessibility and any of those other categories that may be applicable, uh, then, then you can go ahead and approve that process now. So, um, and then that process can, can uh, type of process can continue forward under the alternative methods and materials until it can get into the code. Um, of course, those those will take a little bit more work um, because the the there's nothing prescriptive, like you said, in the code that's going to tell you for a 3D printed home, here's exactly how you need to construct it. Um, so, you know, a code official that uh, that wants to consider approval of a, a, a you know alternative method like 3D printing uh, would just need to work closely with the designer and the uh, permit applicant to review those plans and, and the design criteria and make sure uh, everything meets the um, you know performance uh, requirements of the code. And uh, you know you could definitely approve that now. You know, I, I always like to say you know really the code has some some very specific prescriptive paths to get to get to an endpoint of, of a code compliant building or structure or whatever you're doing. But really there um, you know unless it's a prohibited material, um, somebody could bring you anything right. um, and you know whatever material it is uh, could be some kind of uh, used structure um, and, and say, hey, I've got this box here and I want to I want to make a building out of it. And if it can meet code um, perform performance wise and be just as safe, there's no reason why we can't approve that under the code. Like I tell people all the time, I have seen people fix things that I thought were never going to, you know, have life in them again or somebody be able to live in them again. And through different means and methods that are you know, provisions that are in the code through the existing building construction um, code or through the, you know, residential code, they, they've been able to make it work. So I've seen miracles happen. So um, you're right about the administrative provisions of the code. Um, so before I let you go, Jeff, uh, just a couple, couple more questions. How does one get involved in the code development process? Right. So, so there's a, a couple different ways to get involved. The first thing I, I always recommend people to do is to uh, get linked up with, with one of the chapters or one of the code uh, organizations that's out there, um, either at the national level or especially in Virginia. There's some really good groups um, that I know, know you're, you're involved in as well, Christina. Groups like you've got Wicked, we've got Virginia Fire Prevention Association, you've got Virginia Building uh, Code Officials Association, um, you got VPMIA, um, IAI uh, Virginia, IAEI Virginia. There's there's a bunch of them out there, and and all of these groups have an interest and in, in, are involved in the code development process in Virginia. Uh, and they're a really good way to to get involved. Some of them may have committees that work on code change proposals um, at the national level and and at the state level. 
Um, also now, um, if you want to kind of check out the, the code change process at the national level, um, most of that stuff is virtual. Um, so if, even if you're not able to travel and go to the hearings, um, you can go on ICC's website, look at the schedules. Um, when they put the information out for the agendas and um, you know all the proposals, you can review that stuff and then, and then go online and watch the testimony and the discussions around those proposals. Um, and kind of follow the follow the code changes through the process. Uh, that's a really good way to learn. Uh, another thing I would say is is getting involved in committees um, at the national level and and at the state level. Um, you know, there's a lot of good uh, committees through the state organizations uh, like VBCOA and, and Wicked and, and VFPA, VPMIA, um, and then also at the national level with ICC. They have a lot of great uh, committee uh, opportunities as well, and the more you get involved there and the more you're kind of um, seeing how things are, are done behind the scenes, um, whether it be an exam development committee or a standards development committee, and I, I recently had an opportunity to uh, be, be on a uh, standards development committee for offsite construction um, to kind of see how those standards were developed in, in the background, and that was a really good opportunity for me, and, and through that, uh, even if those aren't directly related to code development, when you're building those relationships um, and getting that exposure to these different different aspects of ICC, um, you know, you, you just you just really will grow that way um, and and have more opportunities to be involved. If if you're able to go in person to a, to an ICC hearing, uh, that's a great experience as well. Uh, and then in Virginia, whenever we're having uh, going through our code development process, um, all of our meetings, everything we do is always open to the public, open to anybody. So even if you're not don't feel comfortable to sitting on a committee yet, um, if you want to just come sit in on a, on a code change meeting, uh, any of our stakeholder meetings. Uh, like our stakeholder workgroup meetings where we're discussing proposals or our sub workgroup meetings where we kind of vet proposals and uh, uh, work through some specific topics or study group meetings. Um, all of that's open to the public. Um, anybody can contact us and, and get put on our contact list. So we've got a code development uh, constant contact email list and and we're able to add anybody to that. And when we send out information um, like schedules and, and meeting agendas and things like that, if, if somebody's on that list, they'll be notified. Uh, and now also similar to ICC, um, last couple of years, we've transitioned a lot of those meetings to virtual meetings. Um, so those you can also um, attend and participate in without having to travel. Um, some of the meetings are in person, uh, but again, ev everything we do is, is always open to the public and we encourage people to, to come, come and attend and, you know, either just sit in and listen if they want, or we also encourage participation as well, because really our process relies on those that, that come to the meetings and participate. Um, you know, DHCD facilitates the process and, and sets up the meetings to bring all the stakeholders together to discuss it. Uh, but we, we really don't have a, a, a say in, in how the code changes go. We're really just there to get everybody at the table to have those discussions to try to reach consensus if we can or determine if there isn't consensus on the proposals. So the more people we have there, uh, the more that are involved, the more that come and, and be part of the discussions and ask questions, uh, the better result we'll have at the end of the day. That's great. So what is the current status of the code development process right now in Virginia? Yeah, so right now we're, we're uh, about midway in the 2021 co-development process. So, so and, and when I say 2021 co-development process, that's updating Virginia's uh, building and fire codes to the 2021 edition by incorporating the 2021 I codes. Um, so 
we, we opened up the um, CDP Virginia back in like October of 2021 to start taking in uh, code change proposals um, and, and, you know, took proposals through, I believe, May or June of, of 2021. Uh, we, we started having stakeholder meetings uh, to review all those proposals. Uh, all the proposals were vetted. Uh, we had a couple study groups and subwork groups that met throughout the cycle. Uh, we've, we've got all the proposals and all that background information together. And the board, uh, the board of housing, on o October 3rd, which was a couple weeks ago, uh, just had the meeting um, to review each one of those proposals and, and make decisions on them. Um, so, so at that meeting, what happens is uh, you've got a codes and standards committee and a statewide fire. Um, Fire Prevention Code Development Committee that that meet and uh, make recommendations on the the USBC and SFPC. Um, so they they vetted all those proposals at that meeting, um, made their determinations on which one of those proposals they were going to uh, recommend to be included in the proposed regulations. Uh, and so so after that meeting, uh, DHCD staff is basically uh, directed uh, through a motion at that meeting to develop the proposed regulations. So that's what we're working on right now. As as what we'll Call the proposed regulations, um, and that will take, um, you know, that's basically a draft of what the 2021 regulations will look like with all those individual co change proposals put in there. Uh, we'll bring those uh, proposed regulations back to the board in December. Um, and then once the board approves those regulations, they'll get published um, in the Virginia Register and posted on town hall uh, for public for a public comment period. Um, once that once that uh, part of the process wraps up, the board will will then uh, enter into the final regulations phase. They'll consider those comments that were received during the comment period. Um, there'll be another public hearing that will be held um, during after those uh, pub, uh, after those comments come in. Uh, one final public hearing, um, and then. DHCD will develop what's called the final regulations, which which should be basically the proposed regulations. But maybe if there's some errors or something found, um, we'll we'll make those updates or changes in those final regulations uh, before we publish those. Um, and so that will probably be uh, publishing the final regulations will be sometime sometime early next year, hopefully uh, maybe maybe the first quarter of the year, uh, and then. We're, we're already starting on the process of the coach uh, developing code change training for the 2021 codes and uh, starting to work with ICC to develop the 2021 code books. Uh, that's about a six month process to get those custom Virginia code books uh, ready and printed. Um, so we're, we're going to start on that uh, now as, as we finish up the proposed regulations. And, you know, when we publish the final regulations, we'll set an effective date of the 2021 codes uh, and we'll have a little bit better idea then of, of when we think the books will be ready and the code change training will be finished and we'll go ahead and set that effective date then. But we're we're anticipating the 2021 codes to be effective probably mid to late next year. So you, you're saying the 2021 codes so for our listeners, just let them know that about the process in Virginia is just a little bit behind because uh, we're sitting here in 2022 and we're talking about a 2021 code that's going to be um, in effect sometime next year. Right, then, right. So, yeah. So, how that how that process works is, um, you know, so if you if you set this code cycle aside and we start thinking about when we're going to do the next code update, uh, as like I said, this one should be done uh, in about the next year or so. Um, right now, at the national level, they're developing the 2024 codes and wrapping up that 
process. Um, so, so really we have to wait for the 2024 model codes to be finished and published and available before we can even look at those and, and you know, go, go back to the board and, and ask them if they want us to start a process to adopt those codes. So, you know, if those codes come out, maybe uh, right around 2024, um, and, and we start looking at those, and, and maybe the board says, yes, yes, we'd like you to go ahead and, and um, you know, put out a, a notice of intended regulatory action to update to the 2024 codes, that, that's, that would start a two-year process. So even if we started immediately when that 2024 code is available, it's still going to be about two years before we'd have those codes in effect in Virginia. And so that's why we're Hit almost at 2023, we'll have the 2021 codes effective. Okay. Just wanted to, you know, let the listeners know, you know, it may sound a little confusing, but there's a method to the process. And that's the reason why it takes so long to get developed. Um, so just real briefly, uh, the future of codes, you know, with technology changing, with, um, I just recently saw on LinkedIn that Florida is going to allow like a, you know, so like a punch list of things that can be virtual inspections. Um, where do you see the the code, the Virginia and the code development process with with those kind of items, with the virtual inspections and the um, things that, you know, technology is just changing. Like we talked about with 3D houses and different modular homes. Like I know that there are container homes that, you know, people are looking at to upcycle and and reuse and repurpose what do you think the future yeah. codes are yeah I'm, I'm seeing the same things i mean like i said it's hard it's hard to predict what we might see coming um and what what ideas people might have for code changes in the future but you know we're definitely seeing uh, a lot of new technology and new ideas being being introduced um you know, there's a lot going on with offsite construction, you know, right now with, with uh, you know, the need for more housing and not only more housing, but more affordable housing. Um, you know, it, it's uh, something where the, the faster we can get those houses out there and, the, you know, the cheaper we can produce them, um, the, the quicker we can solve that issue. And, you know, I'm, I'm seeing uh, offsite construction is playing a big role in that. Um, so um, I'm just seeing a lot of changes there and a lot of interest. Um, the, the codes are still trying to catch up with that as well. Um, you know, and, and like I said, I, I participated on the Offsite Construction Standards Development Committee, and so those standards were just published uh, last year and are brand new. Um, they aren't quite referenced in the, the model codes yet. I'm hoping that's maybe the next step because um, I think we will start seeing a lot more, even if it's not an entire building being constructed off-site, uh, maybe parts and pieces of a building being constructed off-site. I mean, we already see a lot of that with uh, engineer trusses and floors and, um, you know, headwalls, medical headwalls, and, um, you know, even sometimes some, you know, prefab restrooms in a building just to speed up the, the construction process. So I'm really seeing that uh, as probably being where we're headed in the future, um, you know, because there's other issues as well with, um, you know, um, the numbers in the workforce. There's just not enough uh, workers out there right now. You hear it all over the place in the construction industry. 
um, they just can't keep up. And there's there's so much demand and, and there's not as much interest, especially from the younger generations getting into those fields. Um, so so they, they've got more work than, than they can handle. Um, so when we try to ramp up construction and increase uh, home construction, it's hard to do if you don't have more people. Uh, however, factory construction, I think, can can kind of fill some of that gap because it uh, it's just a different type of process. Um, you know, it's less labor intensive. Um, and, and they can, you know, produce more products um, um, and they save a little bit of time, uh, you know, not only because of the kind of assembly line method that they use, but because they're also indoors uh, where weather doesn't affect them. They can, they can operate uh, 24 hours a day if they need to, 365 days a year, um, and they're not slowed down in the winter like we are uh, for a lot, of, a lot of construction. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. But, you know, at the end of the day, the codes are there to make sure that these are um, built and constructed in a safe workmanlike manner to make sure that, you know, the people who live there are safe and that they'll uh, be safe in, you know, for the duration and the lifetime of that building. So I think that the codes are trying to adopt to make sure that we ensure that safety and they're being built to the code is number one. So I agree the labor force has just changed the way how everybody is doing everything. And like you said, we're just, we're starting to see it now on the building code side of things where people are looking at um, alternatives and alternative ways of building things. Uh, so Jeff, I appreciate your time and you speaking with us today. Um, before I let you go, please let everyone know how they can reach out to you if they have any questions, if uh, they have any concerns. Yeah, so the, the best way to reach us is um, we've got a general mailbox um, and it's sbco at dhcd.virginia.gov uh, or you can call our main line at uh, 804-371-7150. Um, and, and we'd be glad to help you with any questions or in, in any way that we can. And you also visit the DHCD website as well? Yes, we do have uh, the DHCD website. If you want to go there, it's uh, dhcd.virginia.gov, and there's, uh, you'll want to look at the codes page is where you'll find everything related to building and fire regulations. Well, Jeff, this has been a very interesting conversation. I hope this conversation helps those who are very interested in the code development process get more involved um, because, again, it is a, a process that is open to the general public. So hopefully this has sort of calmed somebody's fear of maybe wanting to uh, put forth a code change and they come forth. And VBCOA always appreciates our relationship with DACD. So thank you, Jeff, for taking the time to speak with us. Yes, thank you, and, and thank you to, to VBCOA. And yes, if you want to get involved, please reach out to us at, at the email address, and we'd love to put you on the contact list, and I'll see you at the next meeting. All right, this has been a VBCOA podcast, a Building Code Geeks podcast, and stay tuned for the next episode.